We just thought that would put a little punch in the sermon we having that dramatic introduction, you know, doesn't it? Well, we're so glad that you're here on Palm Sunday to worship with us just a, a week before Easter. And next week, we have five services, just in case you haven't been paying attention to the bulletin. Or if you're new and just didn't know what we're offering, we're actually adding two services on Saturday at 4 and 6 p.m. And then Sunday morning, we have 7.30, which is earlier than normal. That's, that's our kind of sunrise service. Sun will be well up by then, but 7.30, and then 9.15 and 11 um, a.m., and, there, and uh, this service actually was the biggest one last year. And so, uh, yes, that's great, but it may be crowded for you. So I just want to encourage you. If you want to come on Saturday, come back on Sunday to help serve. We still have opportunities to serve, um, particularly in the children's area with our, our little children um, at this hour. So if you could go to another service, come back. You know, that's a real burden of mine that these little children learn that um, Easter is about Jesus. It's not about a bunny in a basket. And so we have an opportunity to convey to our children this incredible message of who Jesus is, that he rose from the dead, and, and help them to learn that. And if you love kids, um, can give to them on that one Sunday. Maybe it's not every Sunday you're doing this, but just that one Sunday for Easter so our guests could come and enjoy the service. Um, go to our foyer and the long connection counter. Sign up, see what the needs are. Um, there are other needs as well, ushers and some other positions, but I know, for, uh, especially at this hour, 11 o'clock, a lot of needs for working uh, with our little kids. Also, uh, you can read in your bulletin about other things coming up, that uh, our marriage night is coming up next month. It's going to be a, a Friday night conference, um, telecast here, and we invite you to come and be part of that as well. Last night, the snow began to fall in our neighborhood, and we looked out the window and said, oh my goodness, this is, this is like Christmas. And I went out last night, cleaned my car off, because I had four inches of snow on my car last night. And I thought, man, I wonder what it's like at the church. So I drove to, to work this morning, came here to the church. There's like nothing. There's, there's no snow here. I went, I live five miles away. It was like a, just a huge snowfall, and there's like nothing here. It's like two different worlds. But, it, but maybe it was God's way of reminding me that this concept we're talking about, the kingdom of God, is, is it's about another world. It's about a contrast of one world and another, that there is a different um, kind of life within this thing called the kingdom of God. And last week we looked at um, Jesus. Jesus is the king, and when he's present, the kingdom is present. That's why Jesus could say, kingdom of heaven is now. It's here. It's in your midst, because that was him. He is the king. Um, but he didn't operate like they thought kings should. And so when Jesus was living on this earth, the, the Jewish people kept waiting for him to kind of step up, take your throne, exert some power, defeat the Romans, let's get on with it. That's what the kings of old used to do. But when Jesus rides in on a donkey on Palm Sunday... And they recognized, oh my goodness, this is the prophesied king of the book of Zechariah, that he'd come in riding on the, on, on the back of, a, of, a, of a, a foal, a donkey. And here he is. And so they cut down palm branches and waved them. They laid their cloaks down on the road. And Jesus came in. They said, Hosanna to the son of David. You're the king that's going to come and, and reign in the line of David. And they sang their hosannas to him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet Jesus goes into the city looks around, and then he leaves. And Jesus does not function in the powerful way they envision this king functioning. By the end of the week, he's betrayed by one of his disciples. He's brought before the, um, the political leaders. He's, uh, he's um, scourged with these whips. He's put on his head a crown of thorns. He's led up a hill to a cross, and he's crucified. And this person they thought would be their king now is a huge failure. But what they didn't realize was this was all part of God's plan, 
that in the midst of the darkest hour, in the midst of sin's hideousness, it actually became the coronation of the king of the kingdom. This crown of thorns that he was to wear was to signify the truth about him. He really is a king. And he rose from the dead three days later. We'll celebrate that next, next Sunday. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. And he has a name that is above every other name. The name of Jesus. It's powerful. It's mighty. And when you combine it with Lord Jesus, what a powerful name that is. There is no other name like that. And he is the head of this new thing called the kingdom. When Jesus came, the kingdom began to spread on this earth. It began to infiltrate or, or, or break into the old kingdom. What's the old kingdom? It's this world that's been dominated by this evil power called Satan. People who've surrendered to him have allowed him to take dominion over this planet. And it's infiltrated every sphere of our lives, from government to media to the justice system to economics to family to every place. We see Satan exerting his influence in every single area, but Jesus comes in and he begins to break that apart. And he begins to show that there's a different way to live. In fact, the way of the kingdom is very different than the way of the world. It's very different. And every once in a while, you catch a glimpse of this. We saw this this past Friday night. There was a a woman in our church who got married. And she and her husband uh, both are are committed to following Jesus in their lives. And this is very unusual. I I don't necessarily recommend this. But their very first kiss was at their wedding. And they were just so committed to honoring God in their relationship. And it was, even the ceremony started off with the worship songs. So the attention was on God first. And, and you could just tell that this couple loves God. And they're not just putting a, a God stamp on it. They're just not doing it uh, to, and have a pastor kind of put his blessing out. They're doing it because they really want to serve God in their marriage. And you can see a difference between a, a, a wedding where a couple is truly surrendered to the Lord and those that really don't have an intention to be that way. You see it in funerals where, where someone has followed the Lord, really served the Lord. You see actually a peace and a joy in the funeral service in spite of the fact that they've lost a loved one. And yet I've been at funerals where it's not the case and it feels dark and kind of hopeless, kind of depressing. It's very different. There's a, there's a difference about living in the kingdom and outside the kingdom. And so when Jesus came teaching this message of the the kingdom of God, he began to invite people in, just like John the Baptist said, repent and believe this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel message that the king has come and we now can live our lives under his rule. And so people that surrendered that message, they, were, they, they came out of, the, out of the woodwork. They were baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. See, one of the things that baptism did was to signify a break from the old life to the new, very similar to the uh, the Red Sea, when the Israelites crossed the, the, the Red Sea, it was a break from the, the old life to the new. Water is a symbol of a, of a departure from one life to the other. And so they came forward and they surrendered to the Lord. They were baptized. They signify that we are committed to this new king. And in two weeks, we're actually going to have a special part of our services um, really geared to celebrate baptisms. And if you've never surrendered to the Lord in that way, to, to give your whole life to Jesus Christ, Uh, Maybe this is a time for you to say, you know, I've heard enough. I know it's my time to do this. I grew up in a church where my parents had me um, baptized as a baby. I was sprinkled as a little child. And their desire was one day that I would choose to follow Jesus. And I did that. I did that. I chose to follow Jesus. But there came a part in my life where I had to decide to surrender myself to him. And I myself was baptized. And you just saw one here. Someone's immersed to symbolize the full surrender of life to the God. I'm not just... Letting Jesus into my heart, that's a common phrase today, 
It's not a, necessarily a biblical phrase, but we invite Jesus in. The better picture is God's welcoming me into his life. God's welcoming me into his family, into his kingdom, into what he's doing. And when I surrender, it's kind of like I'm being put to death that my will is surrendered to his will. Remember last week I said from the Lord's Prayer, Jesus defined pretty clearly what the kingdom was, where, where the prayer goes like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wherever his will is being done on this earth, that's where his kingdom has come. And the best place where we should be able to see the kingdom of God at work should be within a church, should be within Christians who've gathered together and live a life that's surrendered to the Lord Jesus. And so when Jesus began to preach this message of the kingdom, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, there was a handout you received about the special service in two weeks. And and there's scriptures on here that answer some of the common questions people have about baptism. And if you have other questions, feel free to email them to us. Or if you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I'd like to be baptized on the the Sunday after Easter. Let us know that and we'll be prepared for you. Um, So Jesus began to preach this message and... Matthew, in his gospel, in chapters 5 through 7, really expresses probably more clearly than anyone else what life looks like in the kingdom of God, how we as believers look different than those outside. And Jesus makes a contrast in the Sermon on the Mount between those who know the Father and those who are pagans, who are very far from God, but also religious people who claim to be close to God but really aren't. He, 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 he says, you're different than both of those groups of people. You're, you're different than the heathen. You're different than the Pharisees. You are to live as children of the king. And toward the beginning of that um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expresses his goal for them. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes were the Bible scholars. The Pharisees were the, um, were the religious experts. They knew all the rituals they had him down to a T. They did him with flair. When people saw a Pharisee pray, they go, now that guy knows God because he knows how to pray. They, when they saw them give, when they saw them fast, they said, they really know how to do God stuff. I don't, but they do. But Jesus is saying, they really didn't. They missed the mark. He says, your righteousness, which really it comes down to living rightly in God's eyes, your righteousness needs to be at a higher level. If you're, you're one of my kids, you ought to, you ought to live at a higher level than the Pharisees. And a little bit later in this, in this sermon, he says, what you need to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make that a passion of yours, to seek to let Jesus reign over every area of your life. Seek first the kingship of God. Let him reign over every area. Because here's the truth. God wants us to live in this place where where. We recognize that we're in his presence. We're always in his presence, and we're living for his pleasure. We're always living in the presence of the Father and for the pleasure of the Father. I mean, God's watching me. God sees everything. He's the only one I'm doing this for. He's the one I'm, I'm trying to please. And so that changes how I approach things. And Jesus goes through a number of different areas of life in this Sermon on the Mount. Um, this shows how distinct we are. Now, when I say distinct, it means it's different. But I must also say, and it's difficult, very difficult. In fact, Jesus says later in the sermon that it's, it's like there's this narrow, narrow path with a little gate on it, and you can only go through like one person at a time, and 
most people don't choose that path. They like the wide one that's wide open. That li- and they look and they see everyone else going down a path. They say, that's the path I want to go. It looks popular. Everyone else is doing that. Jesus says, that's not the right path. You go down the one that's narrow and different, and frankly, it's harder. That's the path. But I want to tell you this. Not only is it different, not only is it difficult, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. If I could communicate to you that God is not imposing these laws that if you're a Christian, you need to do all these things, you really don't belong to God. No, no, look at it this way. God, Jesus is saying, my father wants, wants, wants to, to do all these things for you and wants you to come under his care. And when you do, it'll evidence in, in how you live. It will show in how you live. You're not earning favor with God. You're evidencing the favor you have with God. So let's look at these areas that are highlighted in the Sermon on the Mount. The, the first area has to do with character, character, that our character is different than others. And he goes through what's called the Beatitudes. And uh, listen to the character highlighted in these Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus says... You know what? The happiest people are those who come to God as spiritual paupers. They, they, they come saying, God, I don't have anything to offer. I, I, I can't impress you. I'm not worthy. God says, okay, I can work with you. The people he can't work with are full of themselves. The people who come to God and say, God, I'm doing you a favor by becoming part of your kingdom, so uh, I'm here. God says, you know, forget you. I want the person who, who looks in the mirror and says, I'm broken, I'm fragile, and I need, I need help. I'm nothing without God. And God says, okay, you're the person I can use. And when you have this hunger and this thirst for what God has to give, he says you get filled. You get filled. You're not full of yourself. You've made room for God, and God begins to fill you. And the more he fills you, it kind of spills out, and it just shows almost in this progression. You become someone who's a, who's a blessing to others. You, you make peace with other people. You are merciful to other people. You do things for others. And some people may think you're crazy. They may persecute you for it, but you... Press on because your heart's in the right place with God. He says your character should be different, should be at a higher level. It's something that's way deep within, within you. And you approach God with humility, with hunger, and with the spirit of helpfulness. This past Monday night, the college basketball season ended with the NCAA tournament championship game. And I, I know that everyone isn't interested in that, but for me, that is kind of the highlight of the sports year. I love it even more than the Super Bowl because you have these college kids who are just playing their hearts out. And you see all kinds of stories of, of coaches investing in players, even praying with their players. And the coach of the Cleveland, uh, excuse me, of the Virginia Cavaliers is a very godly man. He's a strong believer, God's first in his life, and he's tried to establish a culture of character on his team. And last year, they experienced one of the most humiliating losses. They were the number one ranked team in the tournament. Out of the 65, or 64 best teams, they were number one out of the 64 best teams. And they got beat by a team that was one of the bottom four. It was the first time that's ever happened. And they didn't just get beat. They got beat like 20 points. It was just like they got clobbered. It was almost like they got beat by the community college. It was like humiliating. They, they were so embarrassed. Some of the players even got death threats from fans. It was so bad. And yet the coach, the coach faced the media, and he said, this is just a basketball game, and we're going to learn from this. And he kept telling his players, if you, if you own this as part of your story, it will take you to a place like nothing else. 
This will, this will allow you to experience something that most people will never experience in their lives. And so for them to win the championship Monday night was like ultimate redemption. Because when people remember the team that got beat, the first number one seed to get upset, they're going to have to tie it to the fact that, but next year they won the tournament. These guys learn from it. These are, these are kids with character. Character matters. It's part of who we are when we live in the kingdom. The second thing Jesus says is that um, we have an influence in the world. We have an influence in the world. See, religious people look at the world and they go, ah, oh, the world's such a mess. Oh, God, it's so disgusting. I'm going to distance myself from the world. We, I want to have nothing to do with it because it's so anti-God. And so they withdraw. They pull themselves away from the world. Well, while the pagans say, hey, hey, let's do as the world does. You know, let's jump in the midst of it. Everybody's doing it. And so they're going crazy with the world. And Jesus says, you know, I don't want you to immerse yourself in the world, and I don't want you to alienate yourself from the world. But I do want you to have an influence on the world. And so he uses two pictures. He says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Two pictures of things that were very um, prevalent in their culture. Think about it. Salt makes things taste better. Got a piece of meat, put some salt on it, and you go, man, that's really great meat. Nobody, nobody, nobody walks away from a meal where you've added salt to the, to the steak or the corn on the cob or your popcorn and goes, oh, man, that is, that is great salt. Oh, I love that salt. Yeah, the meat was okay, but, man, that salt was so good. You don't praise the salt. Salt is kind of like this, this character that says, hey, it's not about me. It's about that. I'm just here to make it better. Same thing with the light. Light shines in a room, and, and you may have different kinds of lighting, and it may be ambient lighting or, you know, different kinds of bulbs and all that, but, but it illuminates what's in the room in a, just a beautiful way. And yet you don't walk out of a building and go, man, what that incredible lighting? No, you, you, you compliment the things that lit up. And so that's what Jesus is saying. It's not putting the focus on you, but you make things better. When you're there, you make it better. When you go to your school, you make it better. When you go into your family environment, you make it better. When you go to your, your business, you make it better. When you go to your unit, the military, you make it better. It's better because Christ is in you and he's having an influence around you. Now, we can't turn everything upside down and say, I'm going to make everybody else obey the Lord like I do. No, you can't do that. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. Our job is not to make the world obey Christ. But we are, we are called to demonstrate what it means to be under the lordship of Christ, how beautiful and wonderful it is. See, I, I get frustrated with our culture and where it's going with its positions on marriage. But you know what? I'm not too bothered by it at the end because what I need to focus on is make sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that when people look at me and my wife and our marriage they see that we're blessed. I want my kids to know, man, mom and dad did it God's way and they really were blessed. They really are happy and, and they've stayed together a long time. If we really believe that God's way is the best way, we don't have to worry about everyone else. We need just to offer kind of a, an alternative. We need to offer something that's better for them. And yes, we will we'll have an influence. We should be like salt and light and make things better. If you're a politician, make government better as much as you can. If you're a school teacher, make your school better as much as you can. If you're in the film industry, I mean, I love the fact that 
that there's more and more movies coming out that have good values and good messages. And this week, for example, uh, Wednesday night, a movie called Breakthrough comes out. And it, and it features some major actors and actresses, but it's based on a true story of this kid who falls through a, a pond of ice or lake, and he goes underwater for several minutes. I mean, beyond what any human can endure. And he goes without breathing for 45 minutes. He's a, he, technically, he's as good as dead, but he has a mother who will not give up praying for him. And this boy survives. And it would be so unbelievable that if anybody wrote the story, they'd say, this is, a, this is a nutty story. It just doesn't happen. It would be crazy unless it were true. Amen. And you see movies like that, and you, and you go like, man, my spirit was lifted up by that movie. I feel good. Aren't you glad that there's somebody shining a light in Hollywood? And, and that's, the, that's what you and I need to be. Be the light where you are. Shine light. Be the salt where you are. Make a difference. We are people who influence the world. Third, he talks about how we respond to other people. He goes through this whole section in, in Matthew 5. It's the largest section there. And one of the characteristics of this section is he begins each little part by saying, you've heard said that. You've heard it said that this is the way you should do it. For example, you've heard it said that you should not commit murder. And then Jesus says, but I tell you. So what Jesus does is saying, this is the common way, this is the conventional way of understanding it. I'm going to give you a better way, the higher way. You heard it said that you shouldn't kill people that you're mad at. I'm telling you, stop being mad at people. (laughs) Don't call them names. In fact, you need to go get reconciled with that person. So Jesus says, it's not good enough to say, hey, you know, I hate someone's guts and, and I'm writing bad things about them and I hit them, but I didn't kill them. I'm a good, godly person because I didn't kill the person I wanted to kill. No, he says, that's, that's, that's not righteous behavior. To be righteous is to do things God's way, to reconcile with that person. He goes through lust. You see a, you see a, a pretty woman, and it's pretty common to say, hey, you know, I can ogle at her and flirt with her and whistle at her. That's culturally acceptable. You know, I, I'm just... I'm surprised, but I'm not. To hear that in our military, for example, people are encouraged to load up their, their laptops, their phones with, with pornography. You're going to be away from your wife, load up on the pornography. Really? To, that's going to make more, more dedicated husbands? And so they go off and they, they get involved with this pornography, and they're lusting after women that they see and can't touch. They're not their wives. They're not theirs. And Jesus, and, and, but, but I'm not committing adultery. I'm not sleeping with that woman. I'm just looking at her. And Jesus says, stop the looking. Stop the looking. In fact, if you've got a problem with looking, it'd be better if you cut your eye out than to, than to be, be sent away to hell because of, of your lust. He's not literally saying, cut your eye out, but he's saying, take extreme measures to stop it. Look at women honorably. And men, women, look at men honorably. It goes through a number of behaviors like this. He said, if you struggle with marriage, it's so easy to get a divorce, stop it. Be dedicated. He says, keep your promises that you make to people. And then he goes on this section saying, you know, if someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other cheek. Someone takes your coat, give them your other garment. Someone tells you to go a mile, walk another mile. And he says, says, you know, the people around you love the people like them, but they hate people that aren't like them. And it's very common in our culture to feel like retaliation is fair game. And I just confess, there are times I watch movies and I see like, a Liam Neeson coming along, or I see someone who's getting back at the bad guys, and I go, yes, yes, 
give it to them, and I like justice. That's not really Jesus' approach. It's not how Jesus dealt with retaliation. He said, he said, continue to love them. It's easy to love people who are lovable. What's hard is to love people who are difficult. But that's what characterizes my children. This week, uh, a gal in our church, actually, she used to go to our church. She's moved away. She put a post on her Facebook page that she, uh, of her disdain for our current president. She says, I don't like this man. I never will. He's not my president, blah, 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 and all these reasons why she doesn't like him. Now, I don't engage in political conversations on Facebook. I think, honestly, from my perspective, it is the most divisive topic in our culture. It's worse than racism. It's worse than, worse than economic clashes. It, it's, it's so volatile. It's so bitter that I, I've found that people have broken friendships off because that person liked a candidate this person didn't like, and they said, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. It's just so, it's so hateful. You know, we hate the other, if, if, you, if you're Democrat or if you're Republican and I'm the opposite, I hate you. Really? Where's that? Biblically, we're to love. In fact, I told this person, I did write back and said, this person, this president does many things that I don't like. And yet I'm commanded in scripture to love him, honor him, and pray for him. And I will. He is my president. And if, and if someone from another party gets that um, office in two years or six years, I will do the same thing for that person. We are commanded to be different. We are, Jesus says, you should be different. Why? Why? He says, because your heavenly father is different. Listen to this. This is how Jesus wraps up that section of scripture. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So that people look at you and go, now that's a daughter of, 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 of God. That's a son of God. Look how they behave. They, they treat people like, like God treats people. Right. That's the point. We don't treat people as they deserve, and we don't treat people as they treat us. We treat people as God treats us. And that is so different. That's why this kingdom is so countercultural. Jesus goes on in the next section of Scripture to talk about being realistic before God, our realism before him. He, he looks at some specific uh, religious practices that the Pharisees were really good at. Giving alms, which is giving money to the poor, uh, praying, and fasting. And when they did these things, they made a big scene about it. So when they gave, they, they let everyone know that they're giving. When they prayed, they, they prayed out loud so that people could see them. When they fasted, they disfigured their bodies. They, they moaned about how hungry they were. And, and people go, like, but that person's real spiritual. Look, look, look how much they love God. And God said, honestly, they don't really love me a whole lot. They love themselves. And so with each of these, Jesus says, um, I'm going to tell you a different way to do it. So he says this. It's found in, in Matthew chapter 6. But when you give to the needy, when you, child of the kingdom, give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. But when you pray, you, kids of the kingdom, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Then he says, uh, but you, when you, child of the king, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying basically this. He's, He's not telling us the only way you should give or pray or fast is that nobody else knows what's going on. 
What he's trying to communicate is, don't do these things to be seen, except to be seen by God. God is the one who's watching. You're doing it in his presence. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's not your reward. It's not what you want. You want, you want God to look and say, well done, child. You, you did just like I would do. In your generosity, in your prayers, in your fasting, he says, do it this way. Now, he also adds in, you know, the pagans think that by praying repetitious prayers, they'll be heard, but God doesn't respond to that either. It's not a mechanical thing. And I have to watch sometimes of falling into the trap of doing things mechanically. I grew up in a church that every Sunday we said the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, thy will be done. on earth is in heaven. You know, and it just buzzed through the prayer. And honestly, there wasn't a single time in those early years of my life that I prayed the prayer sincerely saying, God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I do that now because that's what I want. But I, I didn't know what that meant back then. It was just a prayer we said. God's not impressed by, by, by mindless prayers. And I would just challenge you. Sometimes you have to really think about the words you're singing. Are they fresh? When you sing something like, how great thou art. When you, when you sing, so will I. When you sing these lyrics, are you saying, is your spirit saying, amen, amen. I, I, I'm, I'm, this is where I am right now. Or this is where I want to be right now. You ought to. God's not impressed with mechanical worship. Not impressed with the fact we just eat a piece of bread and drink juice. But if you make every moment of communion, say, Lord, thank you for the sacrifice for me. I'd encourage you, take it, take it home. Look at the rituals at home. Uh, so many of us kiss our, our kids before they go to bed or we give our spouse a peck before they head off to work. And what if you did this? Try this today. Before you kiss your child, before you kiss your spouse, put your hand on their shoulders or maybe cup their face and look them eye to eye and say, I love you. And then give the kiss. I'll tell you, it'll make a big difference. Because you put heart into it. And that's what Jesus is saying. I want you to be real. I'm not expecting you to be perfect, but I want you to be real because my father's watching. He's right there. He's, 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 he wants to be worshipped. So worship him. Jesus goes on and says that uh, we demonstrate life in the kingdom by our freedom from material things. Freedom from material things. He says there should be a different mindset toward possessions. What we have and what we don't have. So, for example, he says two things not to do. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he says, do not be anxious about your life. Two things. Don't do these things. Don't, don't store up treasures on earth. And don't be anxious about the stuff. The stuff you do have, don't, don't cling to it like it's a treasure that you need to keep on earth. Be open-handed. And on the other hand, the stuff you don't have... Trust God will provide what you need. He's a good father. He knows your needs. Don't chase after all those things. Let him be your master. I was talking with um, Pastor Matt this week, and, and we both shared very sincerely how we just, if people could just grasp what God, how much God wants to bless us, it would unleash so much joy in our lives. And yet, uh, this recent series I did on, on money, and the last one was on generosity, I, I find so many Christians, one who worry about stuff, and then who cling to stuff. And they're just afraid, saying, I really don't know if I can trust God in this area of my life and my giving because I just can't see it. But if you could break through to the other side, I mean, both of us can look back over our lives and say, there's so many times that God has intervened 
and like poured out a blessing, sometimes a surprise blessing. It may, it may come in the form of a great deal on a house or a car or a product or, or a surprise check in the mail or something like that. And, and the very next day, after we had this conversation, I have some books I ordered. I wanted to give a book to those of you who have stepped up and said, I want to I start tithing and honoring God at the first 10% of, of what I receive. And it's going to be hard, I know, but I want to trust God in this. And I wanted to give those of you who, who are doing that a gift. Um, I, I bought several books. They're called The Blessed Life. And I got them at a used bookstore for a really cheap price. So I said, this is a very encouraging book. Someone in our church gave this book to me about 15 years ago and said it changed their life in relation to giving. And I said, oh, that's awesome. I, I want to make it available for people who really want to grow in this area. And uh, so I get these books in the mail on Tuesday. And there's four bags of books. And I open up one. I just grab a bag. I cut it open. I reach in. The first book I, I grab... I, I look at it to see what kind of conditions it's in, and I say, oh, they left a bookmark in the book. Holy smokes, it's a $50 bill. It, it's, it's actually a 50-euro bill, which is worth $56. In the middle of this book, and I just had to laugh and said, honey, you won't believe this. The book, The Blessed Life, <laughs> had within it a $50 bill. And I said, isn't that like God? That, that sometimes does things. Now, I know some people say, oh, Pastor, that's just coincidental. Could be. Could be coincidental. That the first book out of, a, out, of, out of four bags and the first book out of that particular bag that I pick up is the one that has that. Almost like God says, hey, the very first book you grab, I want you to remember, I really do bless you in ways you cannot even expect. And I've seen that over and over in my life. And honestly... Since I've been faithful to God, there have been a lot of coincidences in my life. <laughs> Many of us would say, no, that's, that's the blessing. Really. See, God, God is this great, generous Father, and I don't know why we get worried about stuff and we hold on to stuff, and God says, if you would just know that I'm your Father, and I, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills, that black hole they just discovered, they took a picture of, they put online, I made that. I made that. I made all the stars. All the, I, know, I own everything. Why are you worried about this little piece of your life? Freedom, freedom from the stuff. He is our master, not our stuff. And then the last one is devotion to his will. I really think that's where Jesus was driving to, that, that there are people who claim to love God, who actually profess that Jesus is Lord. And, and Jesus says, but they don't really mean it. He's not, con- he's not contrasting the, the Christian in the kingdom with the, with the person who's like living this wild lifestyle who hates God. No, no. He's saying there are people who say they love God, probably even go to church. And there are people who truly are devoted to God and they are heading down different paths. And so he says it this way. He says it in, in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That there will be people who says, hey, hey, Lord, what's going on, Lord? He says, you know what? I could never tell you were my kid by the way you lived. I, I could never tell. I couldn't tell if you trusted me. I couldn't tell if I was the passion of your life. I really couldn't tell. You look, like, you look like the people on TV or presidential candidates who say, God bless America. That's what you look like. I, I want you to be devoted to his will. See, he says, that's the difference. 
the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's the one who says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, starting right here with me, starting right in my little life, in my home, in my heart. Lord, you take over. Now, you may wonder, like, what what is his will? I'm, I'm really seeking God's will. Well, the clearest presentation of God's will is found in a book. You can actually get it in the bookstore. You can actually find it at Goodwill. It's a book called the Bible, okay? And it's right there. It's right there in the book. Jesus goes on to close this whole sermon by telling a story about two different builders. One builds his life on sand, the other who builds his, his life on the rock. And here's how he describes it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's right there. We, our pursuits are different. Our passion is different. Who we want glorified is different. We're not trying to just to get by. It's not like getting a ticket and say, I got my ticket, I get to go to heaven. Being a Christian means I've come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I have died to myself. I now live for him. But I just want to remind you, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to know that my Jesus fights for me, that my Jesus loves me, that he'll take care of my needs. What is there to fear in surrendering your life to him? This new kingdom is broken into this world through the person of Jesus Christ. It's spreading all over this world. And we are like lights. We are like lights that, 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 that shine in a dark world. Each one of us. You know, I, I think from God's perspective, when he looks at this earth, it must look something like this. This is a picture from a satellite of, of our earth. There we go. See those uh, kind of yellowish blotches up there? Those are the big cities where there's a lot of lights. And so they shine up bright. You know, it's interesting. From God's perspective, it could be that the reality is just the opposite. That some of the darkest areas are where those lights are the brightest. And where his kingdom is the brightest might be in some of the darkest areas on that map. But here's the truth. You and I are called to be a light in this world. To make a difference. To push back the darkness. To, to see God's kingdom spread as far and wide across this earth as it can. May, it, won't, it won't cover the whole earth before he comes back or before the end of time. But we can make a difference. The light is spreading. It started with one light in Jerusalem with the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's been spreading through believers all through history. And you're invited to be part of the winning kingdom. And if you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, don't wait. Why don't you do that today and then celebrate with us the resurrection next week with joy in your heart. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come forward as we stand. Let's sing this song. Let's sing for God's glory to spread through this earth, for the light to pierce the darkness and push it back with the joy of the Lord in our hearts. Let's worship him. If you need prayer, you need to surrender to him. Maybe you're struggling in an area. Maybe darkness has crept into your life. Surrender to Jesus today.